Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downey. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream. I am your host, Alexis Downey, coming to you from the Paul Korea studio. We are halfway through the week, and it is game day for the Ducks here in Anaheim. The team is welcoming the Tampa Bay Lightning to Honda Center tonight. Back from a long road trip, finally, head coach Dallas Aikens noting to us this morning after morning skate how difficult it is to get back in the time zone. It takes one day for every hour to get back to normal, he said. So hopefully the Ducks will not be seeing any fatigue after they've had a couple of days of rest since they've last played. The Lightning are coming off a 4-2 loss to the LA Kings last night at Crypto.com Arena through the season so far, the Bolts have a record of three and four. This will be a very good test, though, for the Ducks tonight, and it will be important to take advantage of the opportunity with Tampa being on this back-to-back. Former longtime Duck Corey Perry, who spent 14 seasons with the Ducks, will take the ice for the Lightning tonight. I'm certainly sure that fans will be excited to see him. And during morning skate, the team had an emphasis on special teams. They're working to restructure that. The lines and pairings are an ongoing process, Dallas said. But having that emphasis on special teams really comes by no surprise based on what we've seen through the last six games. Kevin Chattenkirk noted to us afterwards that the team knows that they can be better. They need to play simple hockey and entering the zone in particular is what he said needs improvement. We'll see how that all gels in tonight's game. But for now, let's go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the NHL last night. Beginning with the Vegas Golden Knights and San Jose Sharks game, Phil Kessel breaking the Ironman streak with 990 consecutive games. That is insane to think about. He has been playing in the NHLs since 2006. Now, that's a lot longer than most of the guys in the league have been playing in general, hence why he's played so many games consecutively. And the fact that he's been able to stay healthy to do that, I mean, we know what a grind it is in the NHL day in and day out to keep your body healthy, to keep your mind healthy even too. So really just bravo to Phil Kessel for that. And of course, he had to celebrate by scoring his 400th NHL goal. It was the first goal of the night. Listen to the call now by Vegas's Dan Duva. Howden with pressure on Hurdle, strips it away from behind. Howden guides it towards center, it's Kessel. Coming ahead, Kessel closes in towards the net, he shoots, he scores! Phil Kessel, goal 400 in consecutive game 990. A breakaway for Phil Kessel. His first strike as a member of the Golden Knights. one nothing Vegas with four minutes to go in the first period. We heard Riley Smith say in the pregame that Kessel has the ability to count who's on the ice. Well, he knows who he's racing against. It's Matt Benning. He knows he can beat Benning. He cuts inside, uses his power. Load goes across the body of Reimer, beats him to the blocker side. Vintage Phil Kessel for number 400 in game 990. Just a little flip. Did not have to propel it forward very much at all. He just had to make it vertical to get it over the blocker inside the left post. 
The New York Rangers and Colorado Avalanche also faced off on Tuesday night. This was a very entertaining, highly skilled game as the Avs goalie Alexander Georgiev was facing off against his old team for the first time in his return to Madison Square Garden against the Rangers, who he spent the last five seasons with. Now, this game was tight and went all the way to a shootout. Evan Rodriguez would get the go-ahead goal for Colorado after both teams netted one apiece. Here's the call by Avs Radio, Connor McGahee. Rodriguez will pick it up across the blue line. More speed, near side circle, Rodriguez. Oh, he scores! What a move by Rodriguez! Evan Almighty! Rodriguez threw on the brakes and stuffed it into the net of Shesterkin, who's on his backside. He dumped himself into his own net, did Shesterkin. Connor, he went with the feet, and he swept back. I mean, that was, I don't think I've seen that. Brilliant. And shortly after, it was all up to Georgiev to make the final stop, and that he did to give the Avs the 3-2 win, a very sweet win for him himself. Listen to the call now. If Georgiev saves, the Avalanche win. Lafreniere sprints to pick up the puck at center. Right of the middle, Lafreniere in. He can't make it. Georgiev, play your redemption song. Alexander Georgiev salutes the fans here at Madison Square Garden. And we salute the number 40, who was outstanding tonight. He's congratulated by his whole team. And the Avalanche have come to Broadway and put on a show. They beat the New York Rangers in a shootout by a final score of 3-2. to two. Every player to a man pours off the bench and heads to their goalie. Connor, I cannot tell you what an incredibly gutsy, brilliant performance Georgiev had tonight against his former team. You know he wanted it bad. You saw the gesture once he made that final save. What a hockey game. I mean, what a game. Wow. Amazing. Tonight's Ducks game is the very first national one of the year from Honda Center. NHL on TNT will broadcast the game with Brendan Burke, Darren Pang, and Jennifer Botterill on the call. And it was only fitting that I was joined by a member of the crew in studio. Darren Pang made his first appearance in the Korea studio today to talk about his career in hockey, working as a broadcaster in all of the relationships he's built throughout the years. Listen in this next segment. Joining me now in the Paul Korea studio is TNT broadcaster who will be a part of the Ducks and Lightning call tonight, Darren Pang. Darren, welcome to the studio. This is great. Phenomenal. <laughs> I'm, I'm really impressed by it. And I tell you what, it's, uh, it's great to be with you, Lex. I know this is going to be a, uh, a, a huge hit and something that sets the tone around the NHL. And um, when I look up here, too, I, I see a picture of Paul Korea and I, I see the banner going up. I got to know Paul uh, in St. Louis. Um, I, I joined the Blues as a broadcaster in 09 and you know so Paul was there and 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 so I got to really see him a little bit more up close and um, really love the guy and love what he's all about but uh, I, I'm looking at that one picture I, I was here for oh my I'm getting old but I was here for the 03 <laughs> final and I was part of the ESPN broadcast and Gary Thorne was on that call and when Scott Stevens hit him and he went off and then he came back and scored. It's one of the greatest calls I've ever heard from mm -hmm. Gary Thorne, and and uh, and so this, you know, it's kind of nice to sit sit here in this uh, in this great studio and and see Paul's face around. A trip down memory lane a little bit. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And you were also able to sign the glass that's sitting behind mm -hmm. you, right next to Guy Hebert. Why mm -hmm. why Guy? 
Because I like Guy. I, <laughs> I, you know what? I, I always did like Guy. And, uh, you know, he started out as well in, in St. Louis and, and being an American kid and um, just watching the evolution of Guy as a, as a goalie. Um, you know, I, I, had, I had to retire quite early. I was only 26 when I retired. I'd played uh, three years in the minors and not quite three years in the NHL, but I tore my ACL and then I tore it again. So I got right into broadcasting. So a lot of these players, you know, I mean, Paul's younger than I am, but a lot of the guys kind of were my my age. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think Guy played in Peoria with the Rivermen. I was playing in Milwaukee and Saginaw and Indianapolis. And so, uh, yeah, so then when I saw Guy's there, yeah, I tell Timo, I bypassed Timo, I, pop, I bypassed Paul. Uh, who else we got? Beaker's up there. I gave him the nine of hearts, and I went right beside the old goalie, Guy Bear. And he's bald now, too. So I, I like that part about it, too. The hair went down. So You guys can talk about that a little All bit. the time. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about your playing career. Back in the day, you were with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, you, you know, going from a player then into broadcasting, was that ever the plan for you? You know, they, Kind of. I mean, kind of. I got to I mean, quite honest with you, I, I never expected to go, you know, this long or this well. But when I was playing for the Ottawa 67s in, in uh, major junior hockey, there was always cable vision shows and there was always something. And I always jumped on every, you know, they ask you to do something and and it never wore on me. It wasn't like it was a burden. It was like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And then and uh, and so I kind of did a little bit there. And then um, when I went to Saginaw, the IHL, I co-hosted a morning show uh, twice a week. While uh, you were just, playing? Just a radio show, and okay. it was non-game days. And uh, like from 8 to 9, I would go to the studio in Saginaw, and I'd, I'd literally sit there. And, and in those days of, I mean, maybe it's the same. I don't even know. I haven't been there for a long time. But, I mean, you're literally throwing cartridges in, you know, and, you know, and coming up next, uh, Bruce Springsteen and Born to Run. And you throw a cartridge in, and you talk to the guy. You talk about hockey and throw it back in again. And So I did that for two years. And then I was like, I, I really hurt my knee bad. I tore my ACL in the 89 conference final. And so I rehabbed it all the next summer, had late surgery. And a producer in, uh, in Chicago, um, Lisa Seltzer is her name, and she should be in the Hall of Fame. Mm. She was the producer, director, and Lisa started here in Anaheim. She's actually a famous part of the Anaheim Ducks uh, TV history. Um, she came here from Chicago, and she was alone soldier basically a lone ranger she was a director and producer for pat foley and dale talon for 15 years wow yeah that's a challenge yeah. and being a female <laughs> you know being a female in that you know in that era mm-hmm. wasn't like the doors were as open as they as they are now and so um love that girl to death and she um she talked the gm bob pulford into into allowing me to do ccha college hockey games okay so i had three play-by-play guys in my time with the uic flames were division one I had um, I had Randy Hahn, and I had uh, I had Mike Goldberg, who ended up doing the UFC, and um, anyway, so we had we had three of them, and uh, and I ended up you know kind of kind of growing from there and and doing games from there. So um, it was pretty pretty good way of doing it, to be honest with you, because I didn't just do college hockey games and get to the NHL. Mm-hmm. I did you know the Blackhawks then hired me. I did a hotline for them. Um, Chris Madsen was the other play-by-play guys come to think of it and Chris was also the first play-by-play voice of the Anaheim Ducks I got a lot of tie-ins right you here you do so I so I, I had to do a hotline and update it like three times a day go into the locker room and interview players players that I just played with yeah. the year before 
And um, guys would play pranks on me. They'd unplug my microphone. They put it on pause. <laughs> and anyway, I learned I, I learned the hard way how hard the job is. And then I eventually did radio. And then I eventually did some TV. And then I was hired by ESPN in '93. So long story short, yeah, I guess in I guess as it turns out, I think that was a path for me. It sounds like it was very meant to be. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I did my my first game. It was by luck. Uh, San Jose Sharks were in town in Chicago. I'd been doing the college hockey games. And um, somebody made a phone call that afternoon. We fired our color commentator. Can you do the, the game for the San Jose Sharks tonight in Chicago? <laughs> I did. And uh, did the game. And, and they offered me the job to come to San Jose. And I, I didn't take that job. I didn't want to move to San Jose. But I uh, anyway, so I got right into it just like that. And then was hired by ESPN. And then having been a player with a lot of these guys I mean what was your relationship with them I mean you mentioned them playing pranks on you but now I'm sure all of these guys too still in the NHL some of them in yeah. terms of behind the scenes a little bit more uh can you talk about a, a little yeah. bit about that it's it's interesting that you say that because you're right at 26 my best friends were were players and and they were not just older players they were in the prime of their career they were just starting out and I remember when I started out in broadcast and I followed John Davidson, there was an article in Sports Illustrated. I, I cut the article out. I put it on my fridge. I did whatever John Davidson did. He had a satellite dish. I got a satellite dish. He had a, a fax machine. I got a fax machine. He had, you know, like I just basically copied him and tried to get, you know, whatever good nuggets during the game I, I, I could get. And so um, I'm a, anyway, long story short, all his friends by that time, were managers and coaches. Mm -hmm. And I was always like, man, he gets all the scoops from like the big, big wheels, like the presidents and the owners. And, and then I, as I think back later in life, I'm like, well, yeah, but I started out and all my friends were players, you know, all my best friends were best players in the league. So I had a way different angle to go to. Mm -hmm. And I liked that angle, to be honest with you, because I didn't rely on the coaches to get all my information. I like going into a locker room. I like to. I was just from the locker room. I wanted right. to know what was really going on. I I think I got the real story in the locker room instead of. And no offense, because coaches have a a difficult job. I mean, they're selling players. They're they're trying not to be too critical of players. They're giving you a lot of great information, and they make our broadcasts. But uh, but back when I just retired, I wanted to know what was going on in the players. <laughs> to the point that one time I was not avoiding Scotty Bowman in Detroit, but I. I grew up with Steve Eiserman and I, and I I got to know that group of players, whether it be Draper and 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 Maltby and uh, and and McCarty and Mike Vernon when he came. I played a lot of golf with these guys, and I and I just didn't want to. I I just wanted to go to the room, and I I think mm -hmm. at some point, you know, I think Scotty might have even come to me and said, "Why why do you you're not listening to?" I'm like, I just want to go in the room, Scotty. You know, and I and I think there's such a value, and you go in the room, you know, every day, and you you know you you've got to get their point of view on on certain things because the game is won and lost with the players on the ice and what they do and how good they are or how ready they are to compete so when you can combine them all it's pretty darn good but to, to answer your question the the fact that I had so many players and friends that I could call upon uh, made me a better broadcaster for sure now right before this you told me a really cool story about Tamo Solani mm -hmm. I want you to tell our listeners that exact story again. <laughs> well, and we were and we were talking about Marc Andre Fleury being one of my favorites uh, for forever. But I was doing the Olympics in 1998 for CBS, and I was outside the 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 bus area where the players, not like here where you could just walk around, they had to get on their bus, they had to go to their hotel or their wherever they were at the village. And so I was I was talking to Tamo, and the bus was waiting for for Tamo on the Team Finland bus. 
And so he said, hey, hold on a second here. This young man's been kind of calling for me. So he walked about 20 yards over to an area that was kind of barricaded off because no one could get near the buses. And But there's Timo Solani making sure he went over to this one young man. He was a Japanese hockey fan like you read about. I mean, he had books and cards and whatever. And I don't recall his name, but I recall this moment like it was yesterday. Timo gave him his cell phone number, said, I got to go back with Team Finland. I'll call you later and we'll go for lunch. And he did that. He never met this kid before. This kid ends up being the leader or the president of the Timo Solani fan club. <laughs> and it just so happens that one time I'm actually here in Anaheim and Timo said to me, he goes, you remember, uh, and I, again, I can't remember his name, but I, I go, yeah, the, the young man from, uh, from the Olympics. He goes, yeah, he's, he's coming here and, and he's going to stay. I think he said a week. And, and if I'm wrong, it's probably not far off. <laughs> He says, uh, and I said, where's he staying? He goes, well, my house, of course. He's staying at my house. <laughs> and, and, and this, you know, this young man started the Timo Solani fan club. And, and I, I just, I, I went to the nearest store and I think Nike was running the whole Olympics at that time. And I went there, I bought a Solani number eight Finnish sweater. And I'm sure it was eight. I don't think he was 13 at the time. I think it was eight. I had him sign it to my son, Tyler. And I gave it to my son and I said, Ty, this is your favorite hockey player starting today. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure he was the favorite for many people too. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it, you know, the nice thing about Timo and Marc-Andre Fleury is good examples is it, it's not phony niceness. Mm -hmm. It's not phony friendship. It's, it's genuine. It's what the person is. And that's what I love about this game. We all, you don't have to hide in a shell and hide behind your uniform or hide behind a bus or hide behind a hotel. Get, get on out there. You mm -hmm. know, there's so much more to the game and you can be so influential. And, and clearly those two are two of the best. Now, one of the other names that you mentioned to me that you have a great relationship is our GM, Pat Verbeek mm -hmm. here. Can you tell me what that relationship is like? No, the little ball of hate. Oh, <laughs> man, he was nasty to play against. Uh, it started in junior hockey. We were both in the same draft. And he went number three overall to Sudbury. I was the, I don't know, first pick by the uh, goalie pick by the Belleville Bulls. We were an expansion team. And, and that, you know, we had the John McLeans and the Steve Eisermans and Brian Bradleys and, you know, some really good players. And... But every time we'd go into Sudbury and that Pat Verbeek would get in front of the net, he wasn't afraid to cross-check you in the throat, he'd whack and hack at your pads. <laughs> I mean, he just would do anything. But as years went on, because I didn't know him then, I just played against him. But as years went on and he ended up being in Detroit, with Steve being such a good friend of mine, I became a good friend of, of Pat's. And uh, he started, people probably don't know this, but he, he actually did some TV work for the Detroit Red Wings. He was between the benches. So, you know, I'd call him and say, if you need any help or if you need anything, and, mm -hmm. and so... Um, as years went on, we, you know, play golf together, go out for dinners together. And then he worked for, with Steve for a long time in Tampa Bay. So, um, I, have got great admiration for, for Beaker. Um, I, I love the way he thinks the game. Uh, one of the first moves he made here too, was bringing in Rob DeMaio, who was with the St. Louis blues for a long time. And I think pound for pound, uh, Rob DeMaio might've been the toughest player in the NHL. And, and there's Pat for Beak. He wouldn't back down from anybody. So I, I truly believe that Beaker's a hall of famer. I think 522 goals in the Stanley cup and, I think the Hall of Fame is, is not just the prettiest player in the world or a player that has great skill. I think it's a player that battles adversity, which he clearly did. He's very small, uh, almost lost his thumb in that pig farming accent that he had. Uh, they had to attach it back. His dad had to race and find his thumb and go so, I mean, crazy. Mm -hmm. And then scoring as many goals as he did and, and playing the way he did. I'm, I think we're forgetting about the true, the true character that it takes to be a Hall of Famer. And I think we've got to go back to some of these guys that battled more adversity than the guys that had a little, little bit easier. Well, we're certainly very happy to have him here in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. And I've had some great conversation with him already. Uh, and it makes me excited for the future with the Ducks.
for oh, for sure. And uh, you know, he replaces a guy that's a great man and another a teammate of mine as well in, in Murph. And you know, Murph put together a, it's been a great organization. And uh, you know, the time happens and you get change. And, and I know Murph's doing real well, uh, but you know, they, it's 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 inevitable. <laughs> I mean, it's inevitable. I'm a broadcaster. I've been here for a long time, and every year I keep thinking. From the time I was um, probably my third year at. ESPN, I kept thinking, I better do something. I better host, do play-by-play, because there's going to be somebody else who's going to take this job, you know, and, and I think that's the same thing, coaches, general managers, and I think the Ducks are in great hands. I think it was a wonderful hiring. Anybody that's been under Steve Eisman for a long period of time and thinks the game the way Pat does and, and wants the kind of competitive players, and he doesn't want the BS. He wants players. He wants the guys that are going to play hard and compete and win, and so that's what this team is going to be about. There'll be no exceptions. It's just going to take a little bit of time. Now, you've been with the St. Louis Blues, broadcasting with them for a number of years now. What is so special to you about St. Louis now, having been there for a while? Yeah, great. You know what? It's a great, uh, it's, it's not a big town, but it's it's not a small town. And it's a, it's a passionate sports town um, to the point where you go into a restaurant, you have a, you have a dinner, you could be with, your, you know, your kids. Your, for me, I've got two grandkids that live there and no one says a word. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, you know, they, they don't come up, but, but th- what they will do is cause they're, they're just so respectful to you. They'll, they'll pat you on the shoulder at the very end and they'll say, Hey, really like your work or Hey, good luck tomorrow night. Very That's simple. Awesome. You know, it's really, I, I can see why the, the Cardinals and the Rams, there's many Rams that still live there, uh, in, in St. Louis and, and they go to a lot of functions and they're together and, uh, the Aussie Smiths and all the great baseball players and the hockey players. There's over, I think there's over 60 alumni NHL players that live there, they've coached there. And it's one of the reasons why a couple of years ago that they had five first round draft picks. I mean, they, they're developing hockey players, but the other part of it is, as you know, I never played for the St. Louis blues. So, you know, it's a bit of a leap of faith that John Davidson called me and said, I'd like you to come to St. Louis to be a broadcaster. And I actually said to JD, I said, JD, I can't go to, I can't go there. And big, big <laughs> I, you've met John David, big boy says, big boy, why not? And I said, I said, JD, I, I, I played for the Blackhawks. I mean, mm-hmm. they hate each other, mm-hmm. you know? And he, and he said, don't kid yourself. You weren't that good anyway. <laughs> so I, I laughed. I laughed at it because it was a funny way to saying it. And I know what he was saying. He was saying, really, you didn't play that much in the NHL. <laughs> like, it's not like we're bringing in Eddie Belfour or Murray Bannerman or somebody or Tony Esposito. You're, there were, mm-hmm. You played 81 games. He says, just win them over. And if you don't win them over... I'll let you out of your contract and we'll find out soon enough if you, if you win them over, because they'll let me know the <laughs> St. Louis fans. So, um, so it's been 14 years and totally honored to be part of a Stanley cup from a local team, mm-hmm. to be a team that, you know, that there were such aches and pains and crying and tears. And it was unbelievable to see these fans win a Stanley cup. And, uh, and I've been on the ice for, I don't know how many finals I've been on the ice in one capacity or another, but that's different. You know, except if it's your friend wins, well, then you're you're excited for your friend. But this was really different. So I was pleased. If my career ended tomorrow, uh, that would be one of the highlights of my career is being on that parade and, and celebrating with the players and being on the team plane, which the Blues allowed us broadcasters to continue to travel with them and be on the plane as per normal. Mm-hmm. And to be there with the guys celebrating was just unbelievable. Now, what is the most unique part of being down at ice level during the games as a part of the broadcast? I just think it's, it's hockey. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we, we, you know, we, we media broadcasters, I, I think it's a bit of a disservice um, to the writers and to the broadcasters when we're so far high up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the game's not the same. 
I just did the game in Edmonton, and we, I couldn't go between the benches. I had to go way up. I mean, it was a good hockey game, but we're so far away, it was hard. It was hard to get a feel for it. So what do I like about being there? I like, I like, I like when a player says something to his own teammate to get him going. I can't hear that up there. Right. I, I like when a player says something to his own teammate because maybe his shift was too long and maybe he's a little bit selfish and, you know, let's pick it up. Those are good things, you know, like those are things that are part of the game or a pass that goes board to board that I know at ice level, that was an incredible pass. Mm-hmm. Now, 400 yards up there, <laughs> unfortunately, it, that was not an incredible pass. That was just a hockey pass. But so there's so many things that, you know, a shot from ice level, I can see from, you know, in one period, the left defenseman fires it and there's no way the goalie can see it. And somehow he gets his toe on it. And because I've got his eyes, I've got the, I've got that look. So I, I really enjoy it. And I, I think it's a privilege and an honor to be down there. And I hope that for any young broadcaster that gets down there between the benches, I hope they treat it that way. There are some things that you can't say. Mm-hmm. That you, that's not your business. That's their business. And we are lucky to be there. And I think we've got to treat it as such. Now, your catchphrase, holy jumping. <laughs> where did that come say, from? Say, give me that a little bit better. Come on, give me a little. Holy jumping. Okay, that's not bad. <laughs> holy jumping. You know, there like that. Is. You got to give it. <laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? That's a that's a good question and a, and a good story because Steve Levy was my partner and we were in New Jersey and the whole morning skate, um, I'm in the locker room, we're talking to this kid that just got recalled, I'll tell his name at the very end, but I'm talking to this kid that just got recalled, he's a smaller kid, he's got a great personality, he's got that Trevor Zegers personality, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, just talking and just wanting to talk to you, you know, and, and uh, I'm trying to get a little more information from him, he's recalled from Albany and uh, I'm selling him. I got Levy starting the game. I'm like, it's Philly and New Jersey, and I'm selling this kid. This kid's going to be unbelievable. I gave out an award called Pangers Danglers. I had a clothing line, and it was like, he, this guy could be a Pangers Dangler. Like, this guy's mm-hmm. first period, crickets. Kid Ooh. looked small. He looked afraid. It looked like, Phew. I had the old balloon. <laughs> so, uh, next period, he gets the puck. He makes a play. Now I'm like, whoa. I could tell every time he got the puck, I got more excited. Yeah. He gets the puck and he goes, at that point, our broadcast position, and remember, they weren't always up way high. So this was um, in New Jersey at the Meadowlands, and we were in a basket sort of halfway. So it was a great spot. Mm-hmm. Be like in the middle of the concourse here. Okay. But, but overhanging a little bit more. And so uh, I'm looking down and I'm like, uh, he's got it. And he makes a play. He, he deeks one of the players. He gets and he deeks another player and a beautiful move. He gets another one. He dekes another player. He goes wide. He goes backhand, forehand, backhand, and he scores this beautiful goal. And Steve Levy can't say he shoots, he scores before I say, holy jumping! And I am jumping up, and I am so excited. And uh, <laughs> and it was all because of the, you know, like, it was a crescendo of, hopefully, excitement for me. Like, be- because my selling job, mm-hmm. if it went didn't go well. Then it was another <laughs> little guy that was a little guy that couldn't play in the NHL. They're hooking and they're holding and it's a big man's game and blah, blah, blah. And all I cheered for was the little guy with good hands. Anyway, the player ended up playing over a thousand games and his name was Steve Sullivan. <gasps> so he was the first holy jumping. There it is. And Steve Levy said to me after the game, he goes, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> he goes, but I'd save that for the good moments. Cause he says that was unbelievable. Well, I hope we maybe hear it tonight during the Ducks game. Maybe. Hey, you know what? We've got some guys that can are fully <laughs> capable of holy jumping. And you got to kind of, you know, it's got to kind of be there. And it's got to be spon- It's got to be spontaneous. You know, mm-hmm. it's got to be something that uh, 
that 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 really does. I think holy sh <laughs> probably wouldn't have worked. Gotcha. Yeah, so yeah. that's where that jumping came in there. And you I know, like I, I think there's a lot of guys that have something like holy holy smokes, uh, mm -hmm. holy Mackinac. I think Joe Bowen does that a lot. Uh, Mickey Redmond does a lot of holies, and mm -hmm. you know, and, and holy jumping just just seemed natural, and it and it still does to this day. Well, I'm certainly sure we'll hear it throughout the season, though, with yep. all the games that you will have on the docket. Uh, kind of looking ahead to the rest of the year, what are you excited about? Well, I think there's always a chance for a new champion. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as much as I'd like to say, well, Colorado is the favorite because they're the winners. I mean, they're to me. Um, but, you know, there's other teams that are just knocking on the door. So that that excites me, I think, more than anything. I mean, can Tampa Bay you know, get back to where they were? Or may, is this the end of a phenomenal run for the Tampa Bay Lightning? Hard to tell, but they've got so mm -hmm. many great players. Colorado, you know, they repeat again. We're, we are in something we haven't seen before where we got back-to-back -back and then back-to-back? -back? Mm -hmm. Shoot, you know, that's... I remember when the Red Wings did it in 97-98. I mean, they emptied the tank to win it for uh, uh, Vladimir Nemesnikov after that accident after 97, and they emotionally... We're just beat up after that. But then they came back and won at no two. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I, I, I get I get fired up about that. And I think we have a lot of great young players in the league. And, you know, great young players that I think understand the game, like that they they know that maybe what they did in junior hockey doesn't work here. They know what they did maybe in college doesn't work here. But they've got this great skill and they're learning from the older players. And I always like to see that. What are they learning? You know, what are they... I almost wish that, you know, I, I'm going to miss Ryan Getzlaff not being here, you know, because I always felt like, like Getzlaff wasn't just a player. He was a director of player development. He was a mm -hmm. coach. He was a dad. He was a, you know, he did, he could knock, you know, knock it off. <laughs> you know what, if, mm -hmm. it, let's say if Trevor was doing that, that stuff, maybe in Arizona where, or anywhere else where you start, you know, talking to the other bench a little bit and you're up in a game and the other bench is getting a little frustrated. The veterans are always good at, hey, 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 settle things down. Right. Let's not rile this up right here, you know? Let's learn valuable lessons along the way. And so uh, I and guess... And you were there for Getsy's last game. I was, you? yeah. Yes. Oh, phenomenal. <laughs> phenomenal. I mean, I was so excited for him when we did it for St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And our whole show was about Ryan Getzlaff. And that's what I loved about our show. I left that show going, well, he scored He scored the only goal or late in the game. And I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain... And when he scored, I was so pumped up for him. My call was as genuine and as enthusiastic as any call that in any, in any team. And I, I love Getsy. I went in the locker room afterwards just to shake his hand. I think the world of him. I mean, I'm too bad that he's not playing. I, I, I kind of, I like seeing him. I like seeing him. And, and he'd always come by the benches and he'd always say something, you know, like, like just, hey, how's it going? He'd lean on with his one elbow on mm -hmm. there, you know, with his hockey stick just hanging there like old school. Felt like Gordie Howe was there in the <laughs> old days, you know? So another guy that, you know, went bald and went tight, <laughs> tight on the dome. See that? There's a, there's a common uh, thread here. <laughs> Darren Pang, thank you so much for joining Pleasure. us here on Duckstream and coming into the Paul Korea studio. Have a great call tonight. I will. Thank you very much for having me and good luck all season long. Good to see you here in Anaheim. Thank you. I really enjoyed hearing all of Panger's stories. It was great to have him on and I'm looking forward to having him back again this season. Now it's time for my final quack for this episode where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. So for today, make sure to submit your questions for our Mailbag Monday segment that airs every Monday here on Light the Lamp. You can submit the questions to DuckStream at AnaheimDucks.com or you can tweet at DuckStream or you can tweet at me at AlexisDowney underscore. 
Make sure to tune in for tonight's tilt against the Tampa Bay Lightning with our pregame show here on Duckstream beginning at 6.30. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again for more hockey talk here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.